I'm Franco Terrazin. And I'm Renaud Broussard. And this is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast, where we're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. And we've got a good show for you today, because we're going to be talking about a pie in the sky, or should I say, park in the sky, idea to build a floating park at taxpayers' expense in the city of Toronto. We're also going to be discussing all the subsidies that political parties have voted for themselves. How nice. But before we get to that fun, we've got some federal politicians who have a pretty bad April Fool's joke up their sleeves for taxpayers, and we've got Renault on the show to tell you exactly what's happening. Well, Franco, it might be happening on April 1st, but it's no joke. Federal politicians are poised to get another automatic pay raise this year, unless they decide to scrap it. And they won't just be getting a few more pennies. Every member of parliament, no matter how hard they work, is going to get an extra $3,000 going straight from your pockets as a taxpayer into their pockets as politicians this year. And this goes, this goes even for the furthest backbencher. You know those MPs that are basically clapping seals for whatever their party whips tell them to vote on? Even these guys are going to get a $3,000 raise this year. Yeah, you said no matter how hard they work, I, immediately I thought, or how hard they aren't working, they're going to be getting that extra $3,000, you know? How out of touch? Come on. Like, how many of our supporters or just Canadians uh, have gotten nowhere close to that type of raise this year? I mean, I'm sure most people who have a job are just thankful that they that they have an income right now. But you're talking about our, our, our MPs and, and some backbenchers. But what about our dear leader, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau? Ah, uh, yes, Prime Minister Trudeau. Well, he's going to be getting twice as much. He's going to be getting a whopping $6,000 raise this year. Ah, so we are are or aren't all in this together <laughs> oh my okay i gotta play a little devil's advocate because that's what i like to do on this show now here's an argument i've heard before and i want to get your take on it sometimes i hear people say well come on guys go easy on these politicians they're they're underpaid and if we just gave them a little bit of more money we'd get some better results and and we might even get some better people running for office so Reno, <laughs> how do you respond to, to a take like that you know, that, that's probably one of the oldest myths in Canadian politics. It's, it's important to realize just how well politicians are paid in this country. The most basic members of parliament, you know, those, those clapping seals we talked about. Uh, the most basic members of parliament get $182,600 every year in salary. Now, that's even before their benefits, such as all the free flights, uh, their pensions that they get at taxpayers' expense. Even before all of that, they are already in the top 2% of income earners in the country. And whenever they get some role as comedy chair or parliamentary assistant or whatever, they get an additional bump in their take-home pay on top of that. Yeah, so you hear that out there? Don't feel too bad for our politicians. They're, they're taking home a big six-figure paycheck. And, Renaud, I think you answered that excellently. Um, and here's another one. I mean, you, you don't want... Are politicians to be financially divorced from the realities facing the people they're supposed to represent, right? We, we need to remember that the politicians are supposed to represent the people. And mm-hmm. when they make decisions, we want them to have an understanding of what the people are going through. Now, on top of that, though, you, you mentioned something about an additional bump. So additional money that politicians can get for taking on extra roles. Can you just explain that? Oh, of course. So whenever they get some kind of parliamentary role, they get extra uh, extra money that comes with it. 
Uh, it ranges from 6200 bucks for a company's vice chair, and God knows there's a ton of those guys. Uh, but it goes all the way to doubling their salary or an extra 182000 for the prime minister. Actually, you're, you're talking about people div being divorced from reality. You know, government ministers and the leader of the opposition get a $87,000 bump to their paycheck, which leads to a really funny situation where our current minister for middle class prosperity just happens to be in the top 1% of income earners in the country. So what you're telling me is if I want to enter the middle class or, or <laughs> exceed the middle class, I just need to become a minister. That's what you're telling me. Oh yeah, the best way to exceed the middle class is becoming the minister for middle, for middle class prosperity. Right there, <laughs> you're, you're leaving the middle class. <laughs> so, you know, there, and there's nothing to indicate that we're going to be getting more out of them if we just bump their pay up by a few more grand. Like once again, the most basic MP gets a better salary than 98% of the constituents they represent. Uh, would we really get that much better MPs if we bumped it up to 99% of the constituents? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, as you're saying, $180,000, uh, that's a ton of money. I mean, surely, surely our members of parliament could muster up some money to forgo the raise this year. And also, if I'm not mistaken, this isn't exactly the first raise federal politicians got mid-pandemic. You're absolutely right, Franco. Last year, the height of the first wave of lockdowns, uh, federal politicians got a $3,700 raise on April 1st. And at the time, they defended the move, saying they forgot about it until it was too late, which, you know, is kind of convenient. And that's when thousands of CTF supporters and Canadians at large sprung into action emailing their members of parliament and ultimately convincing over 200 of them to donate their raises to charity. Yeah, I remember that for sure. I mean, it really just goes to show just how important it is for people to take action when they disagree with something politicians are doing. And I think for our people, that's uh, pretty often. I know it is for me, <laughs> <laughs> but really there's, there's real strength and power in numbers. And you know, when thousands of us get together and tell politicians to do something or to stop doing something, it becomes pretty hard for our politicians to ignore us. Absolutely. And that's, that's why we launched a petition asking federal politicians to take a pay cut this year instead of their automatic pay raise. Politicians still have two weeks to act and cancel their raise. And we've seen just how fast they can act when they put their mind to it. Last year, uh, they, they, put, they planned, proposed, and implemented uh, the SERB program, those $2,000 checks they sent to a bunch of people. That was implemented in a matter of days. So two weeks is ample time for MPs to get rid of their raises and cut their pays. All they need is the motivation to do it. And we're confident that thousands of, of taxpayers banding together and asking them to do so will be a pretty good motivator, especially in a minority government. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not like politicians must have their pay go up every single year. It's not like some law of gravity. You know, we actually <laughs> have seen some politicians in Canada show solidarity with struggling taxpayers and take a pay cut. We had some politicians in Halifax take a pay cut. You know, in my neck of the woods, we had Lethbridge City Council. They took a pay cut. We have an MLA in Alberta, Drew Barnes. We had him on the show. You know, mm -hmm. he's donating 20% of his pay to charity. And he's also pushing his colleagues to follow in his steps and take a 20% pay cut. So we know it's possible. We know politicians can, in fact, reduce their own pay. They just need the uh, political will to do it. And I think our supporters can really give them that type of motivation. 
Well, on that, Renault, thanks for bringing this up. Thanks for staying on our, our federal politicians to do the right thing. And if you're listening, help us make sure these politicians hear your voice by signing our petition, asking for MPs to take a pay cut. And you can find a link to that petition in the show notes. And this is Renault back with you again for Deep Dive, the part of the show where we dive deeper into all the important stories affecting Canadian taxpayers. Now, if you think those MP pay raises we just discussed for Franco sound like a terrible idea, wait until you hear about the $3.8 billion vanity project that the mayor of Toronto wants you to pay for. You don't live in Toronto, you say? That doesn't matter. Taxpayers from coast to coast will be stuck paying for this literal pie-in-the-sky Toronto project if Trudeau greenlights the mayor's plan. So Jasmine, why don't you tell our listeners what's going on? Sure. So Toronto Mayor John Tory wants to build one single park that will cost at least $3.8 billion. And here's the real head scratcher, Renault. Toronto does not have the money to pay for any of this. In fact, when I was bashing this wasteful scheme in the media, I actually heard from the Toronto uh, City Budget and Finance Department, and they said, well, hold on, this project's 99.9% unfunded. So what are you getting so upset about? Meaning that they haven't started spending money on it yet. They've only spent about $2 million on a study or something silly. But Renaud, that boiled my blood even more because if this thing is almost 100% unfunded, then that means that clearly the mayor's plan is to tax us into paying for this. But one really kind of scary thing that I found within this report on Rail Deck Park is that part of the mayor's plan to pay for it, of which there aren't many details, but part of his plan is that he's going to ask other levels of government for money. So (laughs) the Toronto Mayor John Tory is going to go to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau with his hands out saying, I want some of Canadian taxpayers' money to build this luxury park in my city. Oh, yeah, the, the, good old, the good old strategy of saying, oh, no, taxpayers won't have to pay for it. It's other levels of government. Who do they think funds those levels of government? Anyway, there's, there's a lot to unpack here. I almost don't know where to start. Uh, I guess first question would be, how, how does a single park cost $3.8 billion? Are the benches made out of gold? Are they turning all of northern Ontario into, into a Toronto park? Like... How do you get to that number? Yeah, you would think uh, you would think that, but literally, Renault, why this is so expensive? I should probably start by telling our listeners what Rail Deck Park, the plan for it is. So it's going to be a massive park built in the airways above the rails, leading into Toronto's Union Station. Now, Union Station is the massive train station right downtown Toronto, and Rail Deck Park would be built on the west side, again, above above the railways. Now, it would be about a 20-acre park, so this thing would be a bit of a monster, but Renault, probably the real reason why this thing would be so expensive is because the construction project would be extremely complex. So a lot of our listeners might not know this, But Union Station is actually the busiest transportation hub in all of Canada. More passengers go through Union Station every day than they do through Toronto Pearson International Airport. So you've got to imagine, you know, building a massive park over all of these moving trains constantly. Uh, Just the safety alone would be really expensive. But basically, that's why we estimated based on recommendation from a professional consulting group, we had Syntec Consulting that does consulting work for construction and engineering projects like this, 
they prepared this report for us that shows the project will cost at least 3.8 billion. So, so wait, your report shows a park will cost at least double the city's current cost estimate. That's a massive discrepancy. How did the mayor react uh, to news of your report showing that his pet project, Rail Deck Park, would end up costing at least 3.8 billion? I wish I could say that he came to his senses and abandoned it immediately, but <laughs> instead, I'm not surprised, <laughs> he doubled down. So, Renault, what's so shocking about the mayor saying that he still wants to go ahead with this thing, despite our report showing that it would double in price, is that we released our report in May of 2020. Now, that was a few months after the pandemic had hit. And Toronto's finances were already in shambles at that point. And even this year, there's still a massive hole in the city's operating budget. So it's shocking that the mayor says he still wants to go ahead with this park that we couldn't afford before the pandemic. And we certainly cannot afford now. Listen to his reaction on CP24 when he was asked about our report and the growing price tag of Rail Deck Park. I think it's my responsibility uh, to put forward projects like that. And as for their cost estimate, I have no idea where they got those numbers from. I just do know that we've had public servants take a look at this and they put forward a cost estimate and that will be tested and tested and tested over and over again. But I think they have an axe to grind about this. All right. So two things on that. One, the mayor should probably read our report if he actually has no idea how this project could go over budget. But two, yeah, he's darn right we have an axe to grind. I have a big issue with governments wasting the taxes they force me to pay on unnecessary projects like this. <laughs> so yeah, me, the rest of the CTF and taxpayers across the country do have an axe to grind with this reckless plan, especially when the city threatened to make devastating cuts as Mayor John Tory did last summer to services like long-term care and policing unless he got a bailout from other governments. So he actually asked the city about some of its spending on shelter services recently to highlight just how wasteful and costly this project is. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, what you found? Sure. So I was curious, you know, $3.8 billion is a lot of money. What else could the city of Toronto do with that? And here's some things that I found through Freedom of Information requests for the same price tag as Rail Deck Park, $3.8 billion, the city of Toronto could instead fund 139,000 shelter beds in Toronto for an entire year. They could fund 711 million meals served in Toronto city shelters, or they could increase the amount of budget, how much they spend on shelter services entirely by about 15 times. But uh, Renault, I think you won't be surprised to choose. Should the mayor do all of those things or should he build one single luxury park? <laughs> you know, it says a lot about the guy's priorities. So it's clear that this park is going to cost a fortune and no government has a cash sitting around to pay for it. But there will always be people who think it sounds cool and are prepared to brush financial considerations aside. I mean, to be fair, it is a floating park. It sounds pretty cool. Uh, in fact, here's what one of the advocates of the project, Toronto City Councillor Joe Cressy, had to say. Take a listen. When Central Park was created, there were critics at the time. When Millennium Park in Chicago was recently created, there were critics at the time. Well, the minute they opened, those critics quickly disappeared. And the same is true here for the City of Toronto. If we want to build a great city for the future, not just for today, we need to invest in it. And that means investing in great parks. So Jasmine, what, what do you say to that? Okay. 
Uh, I had a lot of choice words to say to that the first time I heard it on the media, I'll be honest. But for the sake of our podcast listeners, I'll uh, not recite those. What I will say, Renault, is first off, the city of Toronto doesn't even take care of the parks that it already has. Secondly, when politicians spend money that they don't have, that just means that our taxes are going to go up. And that is the last thing that Toronto taxpayers or taxpayers across the country That's the last Mm -hmm. thing they need right now. But I mean, Renault, what I'll end with in response to the reckless remarks from Joe Cressy there, he's not being very honest with taxpayers. He's saying that this park won't happen if you don't foot the entire bill. There were multiple bids from the private sector to build a similar park. He just wants it done his way. So does the mayor. So they're saying, why compromise when we can just reach into taxpayers' pockets? So what are the chances of this thing actually going forward? Because as you, as you said earlier, the park is currently 99.9% funded. So Toronto would need money from other governments to go ahead. How likely do you think it is that Trudeau would actually fund this? Trudeau's a sensible guy. He would never waste money. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> Yeah, I think that your reaction, you know, confirms how I'm I'm about to answer this question. The Fed's speech from the throne this year specifically alluded to funding for urban parks, Renault. So this is really, uh, you know, fits perfectly with what Trudeau wants to blow money on. And Mm -hmm. if you look at a map of the Toronto election results from 2019, Toronto basically turned red, except for maybe, I think, four ridings. Toronto's got a bunch of ridings. It's pretty well a red city. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Liberals uh, wanted to keep Toronto happy. And I mean, like I said, the Feds don't have much, if any, restraint when it comes to spending. So I'd say for all of these reasons, yeah, our listeners across the country should be really worried that Trudeau is going to dump their tax dollars into this luxury park in Toronto. So Jasmine, what can our listeners do from all across the country to make sure that their tax dollars will not be wasted on this luxury park in Toronto? So we have a petition up on taxpayer.com. So visit our website. It's called Stop Toronto's $3.8 billion Floating Downtown Park. So to our listeners, please sign that petition, share it with your friends. As Renault said at the beginning of this segment, it's not just Toronto taxpayers who are going to be stuck paying the bill. It might be you if you're in, you know, Alberta, any other, any other province, you're sending your taxpayer money into Toronto to build a luxury park that you may never even have the privilege of stepping a foot in. So please sign our petition and share it with your friends. You know, you've, you've convinced me. I'm going to go sign it right away. And I'd like to encourage all of you, all of our listeners, to click on the link in the show notes and to sign this petition to make sure that your tax dollars are not wasted on John Tory's pet project. So thank you so much, Jasmine, for bringing this to our attention. It's time for Waste Watch. This is the part of the show where we get to let you know about all the creative and not so creative, terrible ways that politicians are wasting your hard-earned tax dollars. I'm Chris Sims. I'm the BC Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and our Ontario Director, Jasmine Moulton. She's back. She's here to cover some increased spending by politicians during the pandemic that, of course, has actually nothing to do with the pandemic itself. So, Jasmine, what do you have for us today? Chris, you're absolutely right. Politicians love saying that their current spending spree is all based on the pandemic. But in Ontario, part of that spending, at least we found, is going straight from taxpayers' pockets into the pockets of political parties. Now, I'm talking about political welfare. 
and the per vote subsidy. So for those of our listeners who might not be familiar, the per vote subsidy is basically taxpayers money that political parties take for every vote they get in an election. Now they take this ongoing on a quarterly basis between elections and it all adds up. Now on February 25th, Doug Ford, the premier in Ontario, his government announced legislation that would not only extend, but increase the per vote subsidy in Ontario. So now every time political parties get a vote in Ontario, they get to take 63 cents for that vote. And that's up from 55 cents. Wow. Okay. So we have something like this here in British Columbia, but lots of our listeners probably aren't familiar with the idea of a taxpayer funded per vote subsidy. So Jess, can you give them a better idea of just how much money political welfare has been costing them? If we look at the first quarter of Ontario alone, so that's from January to March of 2021 this year, political parties gave themselves $2.6 million. And Chris, this comes directly from taxpayers' pockets. So when you think of the optics of literally political parties taking money from taxpayers at one of the worst possible times, the optics are just terrible. It really is. It's gross. And I need to stress here, this isn't money going to, say, Elections Ontario or Elections British Columbia, you know, to fund the the little paper ballots and little pencils. No, this is taxpayers' money going to partisan political parties. They're using it for stuff like attack ads and junk mail. But this is ringing a bell for me. Didn't Ford promise to cancel this stuff back during the 2018 election? Exactly, Chris. And here's a quote from Ford's Facebook page from before the 2018 election when he was running to become premier in Ontario. He said, in 2017, the Ontario government paid almost 13 million to political parties at the expense of Ontario taxpayers through a mandated per vote subsidy. I do not believe the government should be taking money from hardworking taxpayers and giving it to political parties. (laughs) Corporate welfare is wrong and political party welfare is equally wrong. I will put an end to both. This is why when I'm elected premier, I will stand up for all Ontario tax taxpayers and eliminate the per vote subsidy given to political parties in Ontario. This will save taxpayers millions of dollars each year. If a party cannot raise its own money to run its own campaign, it will no longer be able to rely on government to get it from the taxpayer, end quote. Wow. Okay. That's pretty black and white. And I think somebody's pants might be on fire. Those words are coming back to bite him now because he's not only doubled down on corporate welfare, he's doubled down on political welfare. Absolutely, Chris. It's so disappointing to see politicians promise something in the campaign. And then, I mean, it's one thing just not to act on a promise, but it's another thing to do the exact opposite. I mean, he said he'd cancel this thing. He's not only extending it, he's really increasing it. So I also want to bring up, do you remember his campaign theme song for the people? Yeah. Let's play that. Political 
medical welfare is the opposite of for the people. It's literally from the people's pockets to political party coffers. But Chris, wasn't there something similar that happened out in your neck of the woods? Yeah, for sure. Uh, We even call it politician or political welfare out here too. And so back a few years ago, they made this big production in Fufara because they canceled big corporate and big union donations going to political parties. And people thought this was a reason to celebrate, that it would be more, you know, accessible for direct democracy, all that great stuff. But here's the big catch. Instead of fundraising on their own, instead of going door to door or holding, I don't know, politician idol or something to raise money, they took money from taxpayers instead. They're taking more than $16 million over four years. It was supposed to be sunsetted sometime this year, but surprise, surprise, we're hearing nothing about that from BC Premier John Horgan. So we're not sure yet if they're going to cancel the program. But here's another catch. Not only did they take more than $4 million per year from taxpayers and give it to politicians and their political parties, but when you're done an election here in BC, you can turn around and apply to elections British Columbia and get 50%, half of your campaign costs reimbursed. By whom? The taxpayer, of course. It's gross. So the gravy train clearly doesn't stop in Ontario. It goes all the way out to uh, the West Coast. I'm sorry to hear that. But you know, our listeners really, if you are listening to what Chris and I are telling you right now, and you're feeling enraged, I don't blame you, but I'd encourage you reach out to your politicians, let them know that you're paying attention and that what they're doing is wrong. Send them an email, give them a call, uh, or send them a letter and tell them to end political welfare now. Yeah, for sure. They'll probably even be surprised that you know about it. So make sure you hold their feet to the fire. But Jasmine, I just need to play devil's advocate here. So big cheerleaders of the per vote subsidy for political parties do try to make the argument that it's important for our democracy, that this is a a cleaner way of giving political parties money and that without it, they wouldn't have any money. What do you say to that argument? Well, the feds phased out the per vote subsidy in 2014 under Stephen Harper, and they've been doing just fine. So I think democracy will survive, (laughs) in fact, thrive without the per vote subsidy. And Chris, I should also mention, you know, Ford ran on this campaign platform to end political welfare very clearly, and he won very clearly. So democracy, if anything, should dictate that he should actually keep the promises that he made and that he was elected on. And finally, ending per vote subsidies actually makes political parties a lot more accountable to their members and supporters instead of being able to just rely simply on subsidies for their support. Yeah, exactly. Because then you're actually talking to people who are donating to you and they'll be eventually demanding value for money. So it just works that way. Um, They could do all sorts of things. I remember back when the Reform Party first started, there was a joke that they used to pass around an old KFC bucket in order to put five bucks or 10 bucks in. They could do all sorts of things to raise money. I mean, we don't care. Hold a political idol. I always made the funny suggestion of saying they could have a yogic flyer competition. I remember Doug Hennig used to run a party called the Natural Law Party. (laughs) very funny people in that party and they did all these sorts of acrobatics and so you know what giver but don't take it from taxpayers but before we go there's another form of political welfare of political parties taking money from taxpayers that we should mention so political parties across the country have actually taken the federal wage subsidy that was just rolled out during the pandemic and it was intended to help struggling businesses but they're taking it jasmine can you tell us more about it 
Can you imagine that being a politician and creating a program that you yourself would directly benefit from? That's exactly what happened in Ottawa. So these federal parties all voted on the wage subsidy that was designed to help struggling businesses weather the pandemic. But then a few months later, we found out that actually political parties themselves had taken advantage of this wage subsidy that was designed for struggling businesses. So here at the Taxpayers Federation, as soon as we found that out, uh, we asked the Liberal Party of Canada, the Conservative Party of Canada, and the NDP to repay the $1.8 million that they took from taxpayers in the form of the wage subsidy during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, I should give credit where credit's due. The Bloc Québécois, they never took the wage subsidy. They turned it down uh, right from the start. And actually, the Conservatives, after we called them out on it, eventually agreed that they would pay the money back. But Chris, it's worth pointing out that, you know, in case any of our listeners are feeling bad for these political parties, I highly doubt it, but just I should mention these political parties have benefited from generous tax credits and reimbursement programs that have resulted in hundreds of millions of subsidies from taxpayers since 2016. So they should not be hurting. They've already got huge, uh, huge taxpayer subsidies. And I wish that I could say that the gravy chain just stopped with the federal parties, but actually we found out that there were some provincial parties that took the wage subsidy as well. And I think our listeners might be surprised to hear that we found out that the UCP in Alberta was one of those parties. So as soon as we discovered this, we launched a petition. So I'd encourage all of our listeners, please visit taxpayer.com, our website, and search for political parties must repay wage subsidies. Sign the petition, share it with your friends, and let's end political welfare in Canada. That's it. That's the show. But right before we go, we got a, we got some fan mail that we want to talk about in last week. Actually got a, a piece of really, really nice fan mail uh, from one of our supporters in Quebec uh, that wants to thank us for all the incredible work that we do uh, and saying that we do a better job than the, than the official opposition. Now, I don't know if that's true, but I'm willing to take the credit whenever, uh, whenever that's uh, that being said. Yeah, that sounds nice. I also got some friendly advice for our, from our friends on Twitter. Here's from a uh, Jason Ashmore who tweeted at me saying, quote, do some work, Franco. Don't believe everything you read. Try doing some research. End quote. <laughs> oh, well, thanks, Mr. Ashmore. And uh, just to be clear, the only reason why it sounds like we do some research is thanks to our fantastic investigative journalist, uh, James Wood, who actually edits all of these podcasts and make it sound like we know what we're talking about. Thanks, Jimbo. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, president of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening, and thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.